Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be a question and answer session that followed my discussion about the Dreaming City, the end game environment with the blind well activity, the raid, as well as puzzles and other things. We don't know all of it yet. Talked about why I'm excited. Uh, it's cool to have an end game environment and the blind well and the raid have me, have me kind of pumped and anxious. We're going to take questions now. There's a lot of them here. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can always tune in live twitch.tv slash say no to rage uh, and as you can always follow me on twitter as well at say no to rage on twitter uh, I do put these on youtube but if you listen on the other podcast platforms spotify google play uh, as well as itunes thank you for doing that you can share those with people that you like it if they don't hit itunes and, and all those platforms quickly I'm sorry about that I'm having trouble with the program that I use that pulls that pulls them down from YouTube so that I can update them uh, later. So, first question is from Strandom. What is your loadout going to look like when Forsaken drops? I could kind of see myself probably just going with some of the tried and true, uh, you know, guns that we have now. You know, the uh, Escalation Protocol shotgun is going to be great. Even though it's getting locked to solar, I don't think that's going to hurt it at all. It's still going to be a really, really strong weapon. The Nameless Midnight is a really strong primary. So is the Midnight Coup hand cannon from the raid. And then after that, you know, you've got you got Sins of the Past rocket launchers. You got Sleeper. Uh, you got the Whisper of the Worm. Any one of those would probably be in my loadout. Uh, Serpentius, do you think that Bungie can expand the Dreaming City as well as the Ascendant Realm in the future and add more content like what they should have done with the Infinite Forest? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to stretch it to the point where people just feel like you're just repackaging the same, you know, 20 foot space. But Infinite Forest, I think, is a more fitting environment for that. Um, The Dreaming City is going to be a place we can go visit and move around in. Right. The Infinite Forest is a simulation. So they could take us anywhere, which would mean it would be a new environment. Does that make sense? What if they took us to a dark future vault of glass? Well, you're not in the infinite force at that time. You're not running on the platforms. You're not going into the place where you chase the cabal guy, or you're not going to the place where uh, you fight in garden world, you know, or the, you know, or the cabal guy with the red lasers. Like the infinite forest doesn't necessarily take you through the exact same thing every time. Like you have those kind of enders that are different. You end up on different planets because it's a simulation, you know, you end up on the one place. It's like the old, it's like the old version of uh, Venus or Mars or whatever, where you, you know, garden world. Um, You're not necessarily going to be able to do that with the dreaming city because the dreaming city is already kind of an established area. So I would rather see them invest in the infinite forest, to be honest. Next question from sacrificer. Do you think, there's ever possibility of cross-platform PvE in Destiny. Thoughts on the possibility of it? I mean, Mike Ybarra from Microsoft is a huge Destiny fan. And he tweeted, you know, asking if people wanted cross-play. Obviously, it gets a little problematic if you do um, cross-play for PvP because you have the, the mouse keyboard, you know, controller, the frame rate, the FOV, all those things uh, could get kind of problematic. But you could you could crossplay PVE and just not crossplay PVP. Um, 
I don't know how much an advantage PC users would have. I mean, you can plug a controller into to the PC and still get the aim assist when you're on, you know, the PC environment. So, I still think controller players on console with the lower frame rate and lower FOV, I still think they'd do okay. I don't think it would be this dramatic problem. Uh, and people are saying Sony would never allow it. It's not really up to Sony anymore. I mean, unless there's something in the contract that Bungie has with Sony that would disallow it, um, which could be entirely possible. I mean, Sony could be saying, hey, no, uh, we don't want you to do that. We're going to renegotiate the contract, you know, and add that. But you could have it between PC and Microsoft. I mean, you could have it, it kind of becoming like a play anywhere game like Sea of Thieves, where if you're playing on your Xbox and I'm playing on my Windows PC, but that may be that may you know it's not a, it's not in the Microsoft marketplace as a play anywhere game. But Microsoft could try to leverage it and say, listen, you know, our platform is all about everybody being able to play together. And Destiny would make a, a great non-Microsoft, non-first party uh, test case. You know, Fortnite allows it, and I don't know. I would hope Fortnite's influence in this discussion would start to have things start swaying away from Sony's attitude and taking away some of their power, but. They have a lot of consoles in circulation, so Sony has a lot of leverage. Uh, Matt Glizzy, do you think the blind well being in a separate area like Archon's Forge is going to be a lot better uh, and make for better matchmaking happen for the activity compared to Escalation Protocol? I don't even know if it's going to have matchmaking. I don't know if they said it's going to have matchmaking. Perhaps they're going to do a blog post about it or maybe a trailer. Instead of just a generic trailer for the Dreaming City, maybe they'll give us a trailer that is about the blind well. I would love matchmaking for the event, or at the very least, let people instance into it, so if they want to do the blind well, they just land right there, and kind of like when you instance into the tower, and there's just people there, you can do the same thing with the blind well, you instance into it, and there's just people there fighting. That was problem. That was a problem with Archon's Forge. You'd go to do Archon's Forge. It's an environment that's it's an environment and boss encounters and ad encounters that are meant to be fought as a group, and you end up going there and not in and fighting alone. That's frustrating. I think that puts a bad taste in people's mouths. So I would love it for it for there to be matchmaking. Poro on head. Do we know how big the Dreaming City will be? It would be super disappointing if it turned out to be a small area. I do not know if they've if they've specu- if they've stipulated the exact size, but I'm fairly certain they said the Tangled Shore is bigger than the Dreadnought, and so the Dreadnought was pretty sizable for a public space for a forty dollars DLC, and the Tangled Shore is our new public space. So we typically only get one public space. We got we got you know the Plaguelands for uh, Rise of Iron, and we got we got uh, the Dreadnought for the Taken King. You know, someone in chat saying Nessus size. They said it compares to Nessus. If they said the Dreaming City compares to Nessus, that's huge. They have said, okay, multiple people in chat are saying this. They have said that the Dreaming City is the same size as Nessus. So for the, for the folks listening, you're not going to be able to see this. We're going to look at Nessus. This That's pretty big. That's pretty, pretty big. That's four different fast travel locations uh, you've got this giant area called the cistern. You can go all the way over here to the anchor, uh, the excavation site and the inverted spire. Obviously you don't go there unless you're doing the strike. You've got the tangle over here. There's underground places there. Artifacts edge and the hollows and watcher's grave. That, that has a lot of underground areas as well, making them feel a little bit more dense. And then there's Exodus black. And then there's glade of echoes. 
Oh, they're both. They're both comparable to Nessus. So that's pretty good. I mean, if we're getting Nessus, if we're getting Nessus size uh, spaces, two of them in a $40 DLC, that's more space than we've ever gotten. Um, someone in chat about the blind well saying there is no matchmaking. They confirmed it. They have something very similar to Archon's Forge. They will try to match players with each other uh, when they do the similar activity. Okay. Okay. Well, that's disappointing. Hopefully it's more centralized than Archon's Forge. Archon's Forge was like on the back side of the map down through a tunnel. I would hope it would be more like Court of Oryx where you can see it, circle around, instance in, and hopefully play with people. Archon's Forge was like, it was was like difficult to find. I mean, it truly was. I don't think a lot of people even knew where it was. You had to go all the way back to the back side of the Plagueland. You had to go in that one room down into the area and then back up a flight of stairs like and if you walked through it and it wasn't actively happening you know a a casual dum-dum you know might miss it (laughs) um you know like i don't know it better be out in the open and visible and maybe easy to instance in yeah crouch walk for days honey badger 164 do you think that bungie learned how to keep the harder raids relevant i.e like what happened with prestige leviathan and also what role do you think uh, the, they have knights have in the trailer um, I don't honestly know I mean they just show the knights very briefly it did look like the knights were serving someone who is awoken and that's not the first time we've seen that right we saw in the vanilla story of destiny 1 the awoken working with and seemingly almost even kind of having power over the fallen so I think the knights that we saw were sort of under the maybe the power of one of the, the awoken witches as far as keeping the harder raids relevant, I mean, Leviathan wasn't really kept relevant, but, but then they added, obviously, the layers and the and the, the, the curated loadouts and the challenges and stuff. Uh, I think the format they had for Wrath and Vault of Glass, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Wrath and King's Fall, was the best format. I think a format where you have normal, and then you have hard, and hard is more about adding mechanics uh, and, and increased pain, not just making everything stronger. And then after people get accustomed to that, then you add challenges. Now you got to beat everything in a specific way. I think staggering like that was perfect, and I would like I would like to see them do that again. Um, so, Aaron three four zero one with Bungie saying that there are secrets in the Dreaming City, and that it changes. Do you think that the secrets will be time gated in the same sense as escalation weapons? That's actually a really good theory. Yeah, I think that's probably something they could do. Right. Each week, there's three Nightfalls. Each week, there's a new weapon and Escalation Protocol. Each week, there might be a different boss and weapon for the the Blind Well. And each week, maybe there's different puzzles and potential, you know, pieces of loot and things to solve. Um, and you only get access to that during that week. Yeah, that would be cool. Crimson Fox. Bungie says the Raiders change the Dreaming City, but at the same time, the Raiders will face something in the raid once the Taken Infestation rises to peak. Perhaps the Ascended version of the raid is part two with more bosses, or perhaps they're not even doing a normal hard version, they're doing a a normal and then a a blighted version. Like, we go in, it's like a normal raid, we fight, but we don't get to fight the final big creature that's at the hard or whatever, and then when hard mode comes out, it's a, it's a totally different raid. Like, that would be a brand new spin on a Destiny raid. That you don't have normal and then heroic. You have normal and then, like, blighted, where it's like it's it's the same raid but completely different. It's, like, takenified. 
That would be pretty cool. That I, I'm, you're getting me excited, and I don't want to get excited about that because that might not happen. So, uh, Bishop, what do you think uh, the ideal amount of time to wait between launch of Forsaken and the raid opening, and why? I do not think that the content dropping on Tuesday and the raid dropping on Friday is good. I don't think it's respectful to the raid. I don't think it's respectful to the content they spend all this time working on. I think they do a disservice to the content. I also think the people that like it being that fast just like the fact that there's so few people in the running for Worlds First and they get to kind of ride the hype train. I think most people don't like it. I think a very small minority of people like it and there's a lot of bias into why they like it. There's less people there's less people going for Worlds First because less people have garnered and had the time to, you know, to get the loot and to be strong enough. So they're the player pool is thinned out, you know, so the race the race is like a very small group of people, and there's a ton of a ton of viewership and prestige and clicks and and relevancy that comes from it. And I just I don't think it's good for the content, I don't think it's good for the raid. I think you're using the raid as a marketing mechanic, and I think you're using the content in a way that's destructive. Like people just blaze through it, and I really wish they wouldn't do it. So I would say two solid weeks. We go through one entire week, a Tuesday, and then that following weekend. That's basically two weeks. You're, you're, you're launching the raid like two or three days before you hit the second reset. So you get one reset. Um, Bungie said on Reddit that they heard the feedback about the release time of the raid and they're thinking about changing it. I really hope they consider just stop using the raid as a marketing mechanic. It's, the, it's supposed to be the crown jewel of the content. And you spend all this time building a campaign and a story and a grind and like natural layers of progression and people just like, they just blast through all of it because they, oh, you got to get raid ready. And it's like, I really hope they don't do that. I really hope they don't do that. If you give me one week or maybe just a couple of days to just enjoy the content and then I can get to the grind. Listen, we're going to get to the grind no matter what. We're going to get to the end game. We're going to start rushing through stuff and going for god rolls and, and trying to level up really fast. But at least let us have a day or two where we don't feel that pressure. And I don't think you can have that day or two without that pressure if you don't push the raid at least into the second week. Any longer than that and you lose some of the, the hype and the intrigue. So I don't want to push it out too far. So... Easy, normal, hard mode has its own version of weapons like hollowed weapons from King's Fall and the adept weapons go flawless in trials, so should the system come back? Yeah, that'd be cool to do that as well. Mac2099, with the current available weapons, what would be your dream loadout using a new weapon loadout coming this month? I mean, I kind of already I kind of already touched on this. I think the Midnight Coup hand cannon with the Escalation Protocol shotgun and then Sleeper or a rocket launcher or the or the Whisper would be like, my heavy is going to be one of those three. Sleeper, Whisper, or just a really nice rocket launcher. Being able to put my hand cannon away and having a shotgun that would hopefully be regularly fed energy ammo would be so nice. There are so many times we fight mini-bosses or yellow bars or shielded people in in a strike or in an area and you run out of heavy ammo and you don't have a super and you're just chiseling them down. I'm going to look so forward to not being not having to do that. Pulling out a fusion rifle, you know, instead instead of a shotgun. It doesn't even have to be a shotgun. Soul BLD says, which new subclass do you think will have the biggest effect on the overall meta? Um, which new subclass will have the biggest effect on the overall meta? It's going to be in PvE, uh, the Warlock 
the Warlock Dawnblade Sword Slam, the, the, the rift that they can put down, I think is going to have a huge, huge impact on PvE. Um, and I think that in PvP, the two supers that allow you to go invisible, there's the one for the Hunter, and then there's the one for the Warlock. I think both of those will probably be pretty prevalent in PvP and Gambit because of the stealth aspect, the surprise aspect, I think is going to play a pretty big role. Um, so, but you, you gotta think in, in PVE, whenever you're going to be doing damage to a boss, being able to like, all right, Hey group, zoom. And they throw down this thing that makes everybody stronger and more damage. And you know, all the other things that we might be able to do to damage buff on top of that. I think the warlock's going to be the hugest influence in PVE. Um, PVP, maybe, maybe, but you gotta remember it's a super. So you gotta remember how often is super showing up in PVP are you going to want to use the sword slam over Dawnblade in PvP? Probably not. I don't want to speak too much out of turn. We don't know. We don't know what kind of strategies could come out of it, but somebody using the sword slam in PvP over Dawnblade, I think would be a little abnormal because the the Dawnblade is silly strong. It is so so strong. Um so the healing and buffing abilities with the new Dawnblade will be stupid strong in PvP. We'll see. We'll see. Again, I don't want to speak out of turn. I just think Dawnblade is so fast and so aggressive right now. I would see people maybe pivoting according to map. Dawnblade does have a hard time getting its legs in certain maps that are very, like, corridor-heavy because you can't get up in the air. The, the super definitely shines when it's up in the air and can kind of stay above people. So in a corridor-heavy environment, maybe where you're defending a, pl- a point or defending a you know a control point or a, or attacking and defending in like countdown, I could see the so- the sword slam coming in big on certain maps, big open maps where you can like jump up in the air with Dawnblade and like cover large areas super super fast, and you can hurl the swords at people. I think Dawnblade's still going to be very prevalent in that regard. Enviro, what do you think the raid layers will bring to the Dreaming City in Forsaken? Do you hope they will be more focused on story or follow the same vein as Leviathan? I mean, basically the Leviathan raid layers are just little teeny raid excursions that have nothing really to do with the story. I mean, a little bit, but not much. I mean, I, I don't really think, I don't know, like, who is Argos, why do I care? And with with Spire of Stars, at least, there was a Red Legion person who was like, okay, cool, Red Legion still hates Callus. But I, I would think what they would do is that would just there would be areas in the Dreaming City that we don't we either don't understand or are shrouded in mystery that open up as a raid layer. That's what I would think. Like it would open up as a raid layer, or or their whole this raid has the most this raid has the most bosses in out of any other raid. I hope they don't mean that that's once all the raid layers have been added. That would be cheating. <laughs> that would be cheating. So I would think if you go to the Dreaming City, there's an area that's shrouded in mystery. Maybe you can't go there. Maybe it doesn't make any sense. And then it opens up as a layer. That would be kind of cool. Just continue to add to the end game environment. Local the stream. Who do you believe is the raid at the center of the Dreaming? The raid boss at the center of the Dreaming City? I think it's an Ahamkara. In the in the grand scheme of Destiny's lore, that would be the biggest creature that we know of. A big creature at the heart of the city? I, yeah, I don't I don't think that's Savathun. I don't think that's Savathun. I don't think it's... I don't even think it's like any... I don't think it's anything we've seen before. So, that's my guess. 
You think the Aham car will play a big part in Forsaken? <laughs> I just said I think it's the boss in the raid, so maybe. Mac2099, what are your predictions about the Dreaming City and if we will see the return of Marasov? Yeah, I just touched on this too. I don't think Marasov's gonna have any presence in this. In this, I think Marasov is in hiding for good reason. And she potentially is going to help us fight Savathun when Eris Morn and Savathun come back. Um, I think Petra and Uldren coming back, I think they are our anchors. So whenever they do something like this, right? Whenever they do something like this, there's a couple characters that are the anchors of the story. So in The Taken King, the anchors were Cade and Eris. Cade was the com- you know, the comic relief. He helps us get the ship. He helps us get on the dreadnought. And then Eris Morn's like the NPC, right? Well, in this, we've got the we've got the new NPC called Spider, and he has us doing outlaw bounties. Petra's a new NPC. She's gonna have us doing stuff, right? And then there's Uldren, who's like the bad guy. I kind of feel like the cast is already cluttered. It's, the cast is already kind of full, and to all of a sudden throw Marasov into the mix as well, I don't, I don't think we're going to see Marasov. I could see, as I said, you don't want the cast to be too, you know, crowded. I could see Marasov and Eris coming back as a pair, like Spider and Petra. Marasov and Eris come back as a pair next year, and then the antagonist is Savathun, and it's called the Taken Queen. It would make a little bit more sense for Marasov and Eris Morn to come back in a Taken Queen DLC. We don't really need them to come back right now. We have Petra and Uldren and then another NPC called Spider. If the cast gets too full, it just doesn't fit the typical the typical cast size and narrative that we see from, from Bungie. So I'm just basing it off of past DLCs and how they kind of structure it, right? Like when we did Rise of Iron, you had Saladin... And then you had Shiro, and then you had the bad guy, which was kind of generic, which was Siva, and then the raid boss, right? There weren't any other major players in that story. There weren't any other people that were kind of introduced. Unless Iron Banner came around, then uh, Ephrodite was there. So, and if and, and, to, and to be fair, if they were going to use Marasov, well, if, if Marasov is in the DLC, we will see her before the DLC comes out, I think. I think they'll use her as a marketing tool because she's such a, a noticeable character. Her face, you know, she, everybody likes her. So it's like she's a strong character. She's cool. She's, you know, she went toe to toe with Oryx. Um, I think they would use her. I think they would use her as a marketing tool. So we'll see her before the release. That's my prediction. If she's in the DLC, we'll see her beforehand in like a trailer. Karuth K says, uh, do you think Warlocks are in a bad place in PvP, moving into Forsaken? No, Dawnblade is stupidly strong. Uh, Dawnblade is very, very strong, and Void Bomb is very, very strong. Devour is awesome, Rifts are awesome, Nova's a great shutdown, uh, Slova's actually kind of fun too if you use it right. I think they're fine. D- Tickle Figures is always going to be hard, because any roaming super that kind of moves along the ground is going to struggle if there's Goldies and, and, and Striker Titans in the area, but I don't know. I was playing Mayhem, and there were some Warlocks using Ionic Blink that were pretty hard to kill. Uh, CGZ. Have you confirmed that there are going to be more than three-man patrols on planets? I thought I read about it somewhere, but I've not been able to co- get confirmation. Well, we know... We know at the very least, maybe not officially confirmed by Bungie, but in their trailer of the Dreaming City... Um, in their trailer of the Dreaming City, there's four people that go into the Blind Well. 
and that to me communicates four-man fire team these trailers always show a six-man fire team when they talk about the raid so when they talk about the blind well and they're talking about the dreaming city and i see four guardians standing side by side i'm like that that's a four-man environment so it's possible they're upping the end game public space to four because of the activities maybe because of the puzzles i don't know and I mean, honestly, if the Dreaming City is kind of where you go to raid, then just like how you could go to Venus and then leave Venus and like we all played hide and go seek and stuff, I think you do the same thing on the Dreaming City with six people. So we'll see. I thought it was confirmed that the Dreaming City was a six-man patrol. I don't know. I've not seen that confirmed. I need a direct quote from Bungie if I'm going to say that's confirmed. I've not seen that myself. Firewall. Do you think the raid will retire prestige mode as the Nightfall did? It seems that Bungie is trying to move away from the additional hard modes and move towards well-rounded activities in the first place. Maybe challenges that replace the hard raid. This is a really, really good observation because they're not doing they're not doing the harder versions of the strikes anymore either. They're just going to be the 300, 400, and 500 difficulties, and then that's it. Once you're once you're max leveled, you're only going to be able to run 500 strikes, and there's not a prestige nightfall anymore. It's just nightfall. I wonder. We already hinted at this, right? I wonder what if they do that. What if there is just like the normal raid, but then as we do things in the Dreaming City and as the story progresses and things happen, they have an ascendant version that that unveils itself like a month later. So like, it, it maybe it rotates, right? Like four weeks of the normal raid and then it advances and becomes ascendant and then all of a sudden you're dealing with that instead of, uh, instead of the normal version. That could be really, really cool. Um, yeah, and Firewall saying in chat, yeah, you asked this before we talked about the blighted version, right? Like a normal and a blighted version. Or as you say here, maybe challenges that replace hard mode. I would be totally down with that. I would be totally down with that. I lo- and I already said, I loved, I loved the King's Fall Wrath of the Machine format. Normal, hard, then challenge. I loved Age of Triumph because Vault of Glass, the Atheon challenge, I didn't like it at first because of the chaos, but man, it grew on me. It became my favorite raid challenge out of all of them. Well, it didn't really top Axis. Axis challenge mode was the best because you slammed the plates and everybody had supers. It was friggin' awesome. If you guys are enjoying this content in the question and answer format in the dialogue, be remember to click that follow button. Click the heart button. That's a free way to support my content. It's like following me on Twitter. It ensures that you'll know whenever I'm streaming. You'll see me when you open up your browser or your mobile. You'll see me when I'm live. I stream every single day. Uh, next question. Bucky Boy, how long do you think the campaign will be? Taking king size or less or bigger? Probably about the same. Probably about the same. They're clearly shifting away from heavy, heavy dialogue campaign-driven stuff because of how they're doing the annual pass. I think they're more focused on giving us grind. They're more focused on giving us grind. Um, let me turn alerts back on here. Thank you, 16 months, Melandria. Thank you for 16 months of subs. Welcome back to the Rage. That's a long time. Thank you. Uh, Mac2099 says... What is the over-under on whether we will have Sparrow access in the Dreaming City? I remember them showing them in a new area. Uh, I'm pretty sure in the Dreaming City trailer, they show them riding a sparrow across a long bridge. So we will we will be, according to that, in my mind, we will have access to our sparrows in the Dreaming City. If the Dreaming City and the Tangled Shore are roughly the size of Nessus, they're not going to take our sparrows away. The reason we don't have sparrows on Mercury is because Mercury is just a really, really big circle. Honestly, Mercury shouldn't even be considered a public space. I, it's, it's, I don't know. So, yeah, people in chat are confirming that it was shown. So, yes, we will have them. 
Insanity says, do you think the puzzles and secrets within the Dreaming City will have their own unique loot drops? I would really like it if they did, because then that would be something you could do each week, right? If the puzzles rotate, if the environments change each week, because we're, we're kind of seeing that pattern from Bungie. They like to use the weekly resets and the seasons and stuff to kind of have things changing. I would love to see that. Like, all right, like, like Escalation Protocol, right? All right, this week, it's a different boss. It's a different drop. All right, this week, it's different puzzles. It's different drops. You take that and you add in random rolls and you have so many things that we could be grinding for and chasing. That's exciting. Like, that's exciting to think about. That could, that could turn into a really, really long and healthy grind that we've been missing for a long, long time. So I would love that. Matt Glizzy, the Dreaming City is going to be changing up every week due to people doing the raid. What exactly do you think will change? Uh, just the environment or like power changes difficulty? I mean, these questions are so similar. You, I think you guys are reading each other's questions in chat and you're kind of sp- it's sparking new questions. This is a good question. As I kind of touched on how the Escalation Protocol stuff changes each week, what if... Like, what if enough people do the raid or what if they just say in the story, now that the raid's been beaten this new like gateway has been opened and because it's been opened there's now new puzzles to solve this week and it rotates like the escalation protocol that you know does well then that creates again that rhythmic loot grind where every week you're like which one is it oh my gosh i still want to get that hand cannon to drop with outlaw i'm gonna tr- i'm gonna go for it this week like that was the problem with escalation protocol it was like oh what's dropping this week oh the shotgun oh i already got the shotgun don't care it's a zero or a one. It's binary. You either have it or you don't. God rolls can create a lot more depth because you're like, wait, what is this week? Oh, it's the hand cannon. Oh my gosh. Can we please go grind that? Can we please go grind that? I, I want, I have the hand cannon, but I really, really want it with outlaw. Right. Polygon says the blind well allows six players to take on wave based encounters in an area filled with gas. As the activity proceeds, the gas will fluctuate and change, allowing players to have more or less fighting space as the waves progress. Okay, so the blind well is up to six. I wonder if that's you go in with six or you go in with. Yeah, it's probably that you go in with six. WT says, Do you see in one of the reveal trailers that there is a spark? that you take more damage in the Dreaming City but do more damage as well do you think that's a good step in the location for specific perks um that's not even location specific perks that sounds to me like a mechanic right like slamming the plates at Axis risk reward right you slam the plates it's risky you're moving you're navigating empowerment in a more complex way you're not just like who's empowered okay go slam his back it's like who's empowered alright I'm getting his back alright I'm getting the plate you know what I mean? You had to make sure each section was covered so that if there wasn't an axis slam, you would look for your plate. That was far more complex, right? If there's a if there's a blight or a spark that you take that get you take more damage and you do more damage, similar idea, right? That's risk reward. That's risk reward. That's I I love that. I absolutely love that. Anytime they add mechanics that I can master and then do content more efficiently, I would love to see that in strikes as well. If bosses have mechanics so that, oh, let me, let me master this and burn him down. Instead, what they end up doing a lot of times with the mechanics is just like, yeah, once you do so much damage, the boss just becomes immune. It's like, okay, so you're just preventing, you're just preventing me from doing a damage bath. Like you're not actually adding mechanics. Like don't, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Making a boss go immune after so much damage is not a mechanic. A mechanic is like, 
here are these things that spawn. They're cannons. If you shoot these guys, you get these bombs, you throw these bombs, you do more damage. Or if you stand here on this plate, you get a buff. And when you get that buff, you can light the boss on fire and it does dot damage. Like, that's a mechanic. He said perk, not spark. There's a perk that will you'll take more damage in the Dreaming City, but you'll do more damage as well. Oh, I misread the question. Okay, so this isn't a mechanic. This is a perk. I miss. I don't know why I read that as spark. Oh, there is a perk, and I I, I, I smashed that together into there's a spark. I thought there was like a thing you could pick up. Um, yeah. I mean, if there's a perk on the armor itself, this is exactly what I've talked about. That's contextual power. That means you're gonna want to grind for that armor for that perk in that area. That means you're going to hopefully then have the same thing in other areas, right? There'll be other there'll be other armor sets with perks like that. You know what I mean? So, I mean my point still stands. I would still love to see encounters with perks and risk reward like Axis and 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 like what we said. I mean, what your your question still sparked an idea that I have, right? I, I still think that would be really, really good to have that in the end game content and the strikes and stuff. But yeah, this right here, perks on armor that is is sort of like, hey, you have contextual power on this planet now. You take more damage, but you do more damage. Having that perk means that they're that they're listening. Because that means you're gonna want to have an armor set for every planet. You're gonna want to have an armor set for every activity, and that gives you a lot to grind for. That gives you a lot of things to chase, so you feel pinnacle. You feel at your best and at your strongest. So, sorry for the misread. Nova Hands, hey Lono, would you prefer raid weapons drop with intrinsic raid perks or have raid mods that you can change out? Thanks as always. I want to go with your second one, and we talked about this the other day. I want to go with your second one. I want to get a, I want to grind for a god roll raid weapon, take it to masterwork, and then I want to add a raid perk mod. So my hand cannon might be a little bit different than yours. So there are raid perks that you can add in the form of a raid mod. So that gun is super dope in the raid, but because you're grinding for a god roll, it's still good other places, right? So Fatebringer was good everywhere, but it had Oracle Disruptor. So it was great in the raid, and you really wanted it. And it was a pinnacle weapon, it was good everywhere, right? And the good thing about that is, if they do raid mods instead of an intrinsic perk, here's why it's good. They can make the gun great and make it at its absolute best in the raid, and when people are like bummed they can't get raid gear, it doesn't matter. It's only at its absolute best and pinnacle form within the raid because the raid mod. Well, yeah, your hand cannon is great, bud, but I like to add this mod. I like to add Icarus to my hand cannons, and you can't add Icarus to the raid hand cannon because the mods on the raid hand cannon are raid specific, right? You're you're sequestering the power and making it at its best in that area. So when someone's like, I can't run the raid, I'm super bummed, that hand cannon looks great. There's a certain level of like, but it's not a big deal because I can get a hand cannon similar to it and I can put on Icarus because I love Icarus. If I got that raid hand cannon, I couldn't put Icarus on it. I'd have to get it and then put a raid perk on it and I don't really run a lot of raids, so that perk's kind of, a, that doesn't really matter to me. That is a new term I'm going to use. That's contextual motivation. Only somebody who runs a lot of raids is going to care about a raid perk or a raid mod on the gun. 
That's contextual incentivization or contextual motivation. The hardcore player base, the player base more likely to run raids is going to really, really want that gun. Instead of it being like everybody being mad because all the pinnacle gear is in the raid, you put pinnacle gear everywhere according to god roll and investment and modding them and building them up to masterworks. But then when you're in the raid or you're in the Dreaming City or you're here or you're there, there are weapons and armor that are at their absolute best and pinnacle in that environment. So if you don't run a lot of raids, you're not quite as frustrated because the armor and the guns are at their best in the raid. This is why contextual power is so important because it's able to land on the, on the spectrum of player and create contextual motivation as well. So... I, I think that I think contextual power is if they're leaning into that, I think the game and the community is gonna feel a whole lot better after September. Is people play games like Destiny because they want to feel rewarded for their time, and that's what a loot pursuit does. A loot pursuit gives you a goal and a carrot to chase, you chase it, you get it, and you feel you don't just feel like you were entertained, like a mindless form of entertainment. You feel like you invested in something. That's why games like this, I think, capture and keep audiences because you're not just sort of passively being entertained. You're investing in a character, a build, a set of gear, a set of weapons. So... The Red Raptor. With the Dreaming City being Destiny's first ever endgame location, do you think we will see new endgame locations in the future expansions? This could be just another experiment and a long line of experiments. I mean, Bungie's trying a lot of different things. If it goes well, then yes, I think so. You're never doing what? I You could have waited for me to do it. <laughs> I know. We got Legos, so if you're listening to this on a podcast format, my wife just dropped my lunch off. We got Legos for the kids... Uh, as like a reward and uh, unfortunately not Duplos actual real Legos and they're a little out of our kids age bracket our kids are you know four and two they're about to be three and five but most Legos are like five six seven and up so (laughs) yeah my wife's like we're never getting those Legos ever again (laughs) I was like they could have waited for me she's like not really she's right they're they're two and four they're not gonna wait so Uh, David McDave face when the Dreaming City being an endgame destination, how solo friendly do you anticipate it being, and how do they balance that difficulty with fire teams? It's not going to be solo friendly. It's not. I'm, I'm gonna just, just going to tell you right now, I don't even need to ask Bungie. They're giving you a public space called the Tangled Shore. We've never got an endgame place like this. It's not going to be solo friendly. It's going to have the blind well, it's going to have a raid, and more than likely it's going to have puzzles that have to be solved with a fire team. I highly, highly doubt that the Dreaming City is going to be solo friendly. I just don't think it will be. Now, if you want to go do the blind well and they put people there, cool, right? Yeah, cool. Like, that's that's probably going to be possible. But rating, puzzle solving, just engaging with the content in general, I don't think it's going to be solo friendly. So... You lost your streak because of so much work? I mean, maybe somebody could gift you and see if it's fixed or just try on your own and see if it's fixed. I don't know if you've lost your streak unless it was Twitch. Twitch Prime. Twitch Prime's 14-day window. Melvin the Hacker. 
Do you think that you'll ever play Fallout 76 or even stream it? Yes, but that doesn't have to do with the current discussion. Animal Mother. With D1 being so successful in the first couple of years until the content drought, why do they change so much about the game in D2, seemingly ruining all the momentum uh, going into the new game? I've actually covered this a lot. I mean, I'm going to give you a real, real quick synopsis. So, The Taken King comes out. That's a year into the life cycle of D1. The Taken King comes out. Um... Lono correction. Bungie said that this game was going to be very solo friendly game. When and where did they say that about Forsaken? I've not seen them say that anywhere. I don't think that that's I don't think that that's accurate. I've not seen anything. There you go. Twitching with rage with five months in a row. Thank you, Crucial. You still have your streak, Twitching with rage. You're on a five month streak. Um, so the first year of Destiny One was rough. The Taken King launches and makes significant improvements. Okay make significant improvements on the game, and that was spearheaded a lot by Luke Smith, okay? At that time, Luke Smith basically gets put in charge of Destiny 2 a couple months later, and I think the reason they put him in charge was they said, we can't put D2 on the same path of D1, right? They've stated there's a lot of ways to enjoy it solo. I was speaking specifically about the Dreaming City. So, if there's solo chances alongside the co-op ones, that's fine. I was speaking specifically about the Dreaming City and the raid and the and the and the, and the blind well. If there's other things in the Dreaming City for solo players, cool. I still don't think it's going to be largely built for them because endgame content in general is harder, and in general, harder content in Destiny requires a fire team. Um, so. If there's a lot of things for solo players to do, great, but I would I would say it's probably going to be a smaller amount of the content. So they put Luke Smith in charge of Destiny 2, and they reset Destiny 2, okay? So Destiny 1 comes out in 2014, end of 2015, Taken King comes out. Beginning of 2016, they put Luke Smith in charge, and they reset the game, okay? And they're trying to basically, like, rebuild. And what they do is they swing for the quantitative fence, right? One of the main criticisms of Destiny 1, there wasn't enough to do. When I spoke with Luke Smith at the premiere, he said there's tons to do. And that was a huge thing that they stressed in the world premiere and in the trailers. There's so much to do. There's so much to do in Destiny 2, right? They swung for quantity, okay? Now, you have to remember... A lot of went into the what went into the groundwork of D D2's formation was D1 year 1 criticisms. During the first year of Destiny 1, the primary criticisms were not enough to do and it's too grindy, okay? So at a ground level, the philosophy and the formation and the scaffolding of Destiny 2 was informed by a player base that was rejecting grind There was a huge player-based drop-off when people hit level 20. Bungie's been transparent about that, okay? So it was based off of a player base that was rejecting grind and asking for more quantity. We want more things to do. This isn't enough. You keep recycling content, right? And I know people in chat are laughing. They're like, too grindy? Oh my gosh, yeah, because you know, you play World of Warcraft for 10 hours a day, so any game with a grind isn't truly grindy. There were people that didn't like the grind in in Destiny 1. It it, it took too long to get anything done was kind of the, the pushback. Right, grind along a spectrum. Right, the, the, the console player base was rejecting a grind. Luke Smith gets his hands on the game, does the best thing that he can, and I mean that was beginning of 2016. The game launched a year and a half later. 
right? A year and a half later, Destiny 2 launches. So the game gets reset. Luke Smith tries to put the game back on course. And this was a game that was largely set up and built from the ground up, being influenced by the year one feedback that we don't want grind and uh, we want more to do. That was the feedback that they were getting from the community. That led to so much of the ground, you know, ground decisions, right? And people even said, if you go watch interviews between, like, Mark Noseworthy and Luke Smith, Luke Smith doesn't look excited at all about Destiny 2 because I think Noseworthy was one of the people that really spearheaded the casualification. He kind of let his perspective really shade decision-making. I'm not saying that's true. That's just some of the theories that are going around, right? Now, people are like, why on earth would Destiny 2 launch without all the improvements from, and they start rattling things off, right? The April update, Age of Triumph, Rise of Iron, all these great things they added. Why is this stuff not in Destiny 2? Well... Because Age of Triumph, Rise of Iron, The Wrath of the Machine Raid, the April Update, all those injections of content were handled by the live team, and they were done at a time where the life cycle and the development of Destiny 2 was far too, it was, they were far too along. They couldn't course correct at that point. They couldn't. Most of the concepts that they're drilling down on in Destiny 2 is happening because they knew when Destiny 2 launched, they knew what the hobbyist and the loyalist and legacy Destiny players were going to say. They knew we were going to say, wait a minute, where's the grind? Wait a minute, where's our god rolls? Wait a minute, where is the where is the, where's the longevity? They knew we were going to say that, and they already started drilling down and building systems. Masterwork, you know, the mod system changing that, giving us giving us uh, strike-specific loot, knife-all-specific loot. Like, they already, they already were starting to try to build scaffolding because I think they knew we were, we were in large measure going to sort of reject the, the end-game format. And that's essentially what Forsaken is. Forsaken is the course correction of the ship before it runs aground. It's like, people aren't going to like this. People are going to hate this. Yep, here that here comes all the criticism. Game's been out for a month. Everyone hates it. Everyone doesn't like the lack of grind. Blah, 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 blah. And then Forsaken is like a love letter to the loyalist Destiny player. It's everything that we want back in Destiny. And improved upon as well, as I've said, like the the weapon system with the random rolls and the mods and the masterwork is a far better weapon system than Destiny 1. Like, they're taking certain things uh, forward. So, Luke Smith seeded most of the sandbox and overall game decisions to the PvP leads. They thought the PvP was the most important aspect of the game to get right to improve replayability between content drops. They were wrong. I don't know why they would think that. I don't know why they would think that. The PvP portion of the community was always the smallest. I'm surprised that I'm surprised at that. Why was D2 developments restarted? This is my theory. We don't know, but this is my theory. I think the game launched in 2014 and then all of 2015 was nothing but criticism and complaint from the community. It was nothing but complaint. Dark Below was not well received, House of Wolves was not well received. Content was just ripped through at breakneck speed, right? They put all the chips on the table. They do everything they can to make the Taken King as amazing as possible. And what happens with the Taken King? A month after the launch of Taken King, so much of the player base was like, there's nothing to do. What are we going to do? We want more to do. Why? What? There's nothing to do. I think Bungie 
faced a hard reality at that point and they said we can't make content fast enough for this player base we need to completely rethink how we deliver content and so they come back from their winter break and I think they said we need a completely different format and structure we need a completely new game lead Luke, Luke Smith, you know, you, you played a lot of World of Warcraft. You, you know, you're familiar with grind. Build us a grind. And that's when they came up with drip feeding us content with Iron Banner, Faction Rally, and live events. And we saw some of that in the end of D1, but it's how they structured all of D2. Uh, Rodimus Prime, thank you so much for the brand new sub. Enjoy your dope badge and emotes. You are dope and deserve dope stuff. That's my theory. My theory is that internally Bungie was just like, we can't keep up with this player base. It's just not freaking possible. What are we going to do? And they just had a hard, hard meeting and they were like, we got to reset D2. I think they were going to build D2 just like D1. I think they were going to build D2 just like D1. A scant, a very scant campaign and then scant DLCs and it wasn't going to work. So they took a lot of the content and they tried to stretch it out. They tried to drip feed it to us. Faction Rally every month, Iron Banner every month, you know, seasonal things like the Dawning. Another new sub coming in from Destructo Knight. Thank you so much for your Prime sub. Guys, when you sub to my channel, we do have sub perks. We have a Discord that you can use. Anybody can go in there and get to know the community, but subs can use the clan system and the LFG system. Welcome to the Rages. Little double sub there. Thank you. So that's my quick as I can flyover of why D2 lacked some of the some of the great things they did at the end of D1. It was too late in the life cycle. There was too much influence from year one complaint. The player base that didn't want grind and they wanted more quantity. Too much of that influence infected the philosophy of Destiny 2. Folks that went to the summit were told that they wanted to smooth some of the edges off of Destiny, and they smoothed too many edges in Destiny 2. Every department took on the philosophy of make it accessible, smooth off the edges, and they basically said, you need threads on a baseball if you want to throw it well. You need some rough edges, and they basically had no threads. There were no rough edges. There was nothing. That, it was just a smooth sphere. Uh, tier 2, resub from Smack. 17, uh, made it to high school baseball number. Thanks for the, uh, the times. Thank you, Smack, for 17 months. Welcome back. Almost a year and a half. And then when people question why would you casualify it or, or, or why, you know, why would they reset the game? That's my best theory. We don't have any internal, you know, documents or emails. I think Bungie just stared long and hard at player engagement from an entire year, like all of 2015. They crunch the numbers. They come back from their holiday break. It's early 2016. They're like, this isn't going to work. Look at the average daily player engagement. Look at how fast people burn through the content. Look at how fast dissatisfaction and engagement plummets after a DLC is dropped. How the frick do we stretch this out? How do we stretch this out? Their, 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 their engine is old their dev tools are, is old You know we've known from internal leaks and things they can't make content quickly they can't make updates quickly none of this is news to us as Destiny players we know that that reality created an entire, entirely new thrust for we need to drip feed content and there's nothing wrong with drip feed content but you combine the drip feed content with polishing all the rough edges and making it too accessible and too easy and you end up with Destiny 2 where we have tons to do and no depth so uh, Big Drangus what do you think of the theory that we'll have to save the big creature in the heart of the Dreaming City from taking influence um 
I feel like sometimes people get really excited and just start reaching. I have no reason to think that. I have no reason to think that. Um, if it is an Ahamkara, maybe it's being resurrected by way of taking power. Uh, and maybe that's why we have to go into the Ascendant Realm. I just, I, I don't, I don't like to speculate that far. That's like super, super speculative. So. Uh, Zekers 121 with us having to get the previous two expansions, do you think it's possible Zol could be the immense creature at the center of the Dreaming City? I mean, I don't think so. I, I, I that, that, again, I think that's reaching. He's a worm god, and it was kind of disappointing the way we fought him, but there's actual lore and reasoning behind why he's weaker. Um, they, you know, they abandoned sword logic, and I guess they, that there's, there's things in the lore that make that a weaker approach for them, and so I don't think they're going to do that. Again, I think that's just too speculative. Uh, do you think they'll, uh, they'll bring word on Eris Morn? As I said, I think Eris Morn's going to show up next year, I think there's going to be a big DLC next year, 2019, called The Taken Queen, and that's when Marasav, Savathun, and Eris Morn show up. Eno Killabee, what do you feel about the new weapon system coming with Forsaken? I feel like it's the best of both worlds, D1, D2, what's your take on it? I agree. I agree. The people that say, you know, why should we celebrate them regressing or going back to D1, I don't think they've taken an accurate or mathematical measurement or look at the updates coming. I believe this weapon system is superior. Three active perks that can randomly roll. Take it up to Masterworks. That adds a 10% stat buff to make it like a min-maxing gun. And then on top of the three perks and the Masterwork stat buff, you can add a fourth perk with a mod. So it's player volition, investment grind, RNG grind, all working harmoniously in one, one system that motivates player investment, player grind, and loot pursuit. So anybody that says we're just going back to D1 is ill-informed, and they're saying something that's basically not true. Always snacking. 12 months, a whole year. That's a red badge. Thanks for keeping your prime sub here. Yo, Lono, I'm back. Ready for some Destiny. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Uh, Bubsky, do you think the Dreaming City will have a quest like the Taken King Calcified Fragments? I think that's possible. Anytime they add puzzles, I start to think that's something that they're going to do. They're going to send us on a goose chase, right? Like a wild goose chase. Like they want us to go, uh, they want us to go off and find like, oh, what about this? What about that? Like they can tie exotics. They can tie exotics to the, to the quest line. They can, they can do a lot of different things with that. And I think that's definitely possible. I know anytime they do an exotic grind like that, I know people, they they tend to enjoy it. Uh, They tend to like that grind. But with the puzzles in it being weekly, they might time gate it, right? Maybe you can only get so many in a week, only so many puzzles, you know, in a week, something like that. I am Skolos. In year two and year three of D1, we had no content drops on the horizon. We're honestly pretty bare. Does it excite you that year two of D2, we have a roadmap of content drops? This right here is why I'm so surprised people are just like railing against the format. I mean, I know there's no depth and no grind. But the annual pass and the schedule of deliverables, people like, we didn't pay anything in, in, in year two and three, hardly anything. Yeah, because you bought the Taken King, nothing came out for an entire year, and you got the April update. So, let me, at, let me pose you this question, the cynics, the criticisms, the complainers, and the whiners, right? Which would you prefer? 
going all the way from the Taken King to Rise of Iron, a year, 12 months, with basically nothing but the April update. Would you prefer that, or would you prefer a $30 annual pass with regular content injections to go along with seasonal resets? Uh, what's the thing? Uh, what's, what's it called? Faction Rally? The seasonal events like the Dawning? Crimson Days? Which would you prefer? Arms Day? Arms Week is apparently going to be a thing. Which would you prefer? Oh, I want. Uh, we didn't spend a dime. We didn't spend a dime. Yeah, and you got nothing. You got nothing. So, like, again, rose-colored glasses, people. Like, why do you want that format again? Taking King all the way to Rise of Iron? Yeah, you didn't spend anything. And here's what here's the theory I came up with. I think people's memory of that year is that they grinded like crazy for God rolls, and they remembered playing Destiny every single day, logging in every single day, and there was nothing new to do. There was nothing. There was no new content injections. and they, But they remember playing a lot. So their memory is shaded and colored. It's like, well, I remember playing a whole lot of Destiny and I remember spending absolutely nothing. And that's all they remember. So they look at the annual pass and like, what a cash grab. What a cash grab. We just had to pay for DLC. You know? And so, and that's it's basically a criticism... That's, that's stemming from and coming out of a shaded memory of, well, I remember playing Destiny in that year and not spending any money, and I played for long, long periods of time. I would like to do that again. I would like to do that again, and <laughs> I guessed fine. Let me, let, me, let me give you your answer. Do you want to you play a lot of Destiny and you want to spend no money like you did that year that, the, you know, that the, the April update came out and you didn't spend any money? Go for it. Go for it. Don't buy the annual pass and just play and just and just treat the the trickle of content with the uh, with with the the seasons. Treat that like your April update, and you're in the exact same scenario. You're spending no money, and you're getting almost no injections of actual substantive new content. It's just like trickled, you know, faction rally stuff changing for Iron Banner, etc. There you go. You don't got to buy the annual pass and you'll get the same amount of stinking content that you got in between Taken King and Rise of Iron. You'll be in the same situation. If you think that's so lovely, wonderful, and amazing and awesome and like it was the best time of your life, then go for it. Don't spend a dime and you'll get the same amount of content that you got in between Taken King and Rise of Iron. Don't buy it. I don't give a crap if you buy it or not. Chuck Norris, with the token system being almost retired, do you think that besides farming for planet materials, there should be some XP grind like there was in Destiny 1? Yeah, I think there's room for that, right? If you do a strike or a certain activity, the rep, the little rep diamond appears on your screen and you see the bar filling. I liked that. I always liked that. You 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 complete an activity and you, you, you see the rep go up. You know? I think that's cool. I think that extends purpose to your activity beyond just like you know beyond just oh I'm turning in tokens just a bad business model now though okay if it's a bad business model put forward a better one who's doing a better business model who's giving a regular trickle of content right 9 to 10 months basically a year of trickle of content for $30 who's doing that in a better way who who released a game and a year later is giving you content at that price? I want to know. 
There's almost no games that do it, and here they here they come. Well, Warframe, okay, Warframe is its own different animal and business model. It also doesn't capture near the uh, the audience. It also doesn't have near the budget or 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 the uh, or the margins, right? So it's not a fair comparison because the budget, the margins, and the recoup cost needed isn't even close. And again, it's only thirty dollars. There's almost no business model out there that is giving you the content that Destiny gives you for the price that you're getting it. You can buy Destiny 2, all the DLC for $20, and then Forsaken for $40. $60 is the price of a brand new game, and you're getting more content than virtually every AAA release title that you'd be willing to spend $60 on. So how is it a bad business model? I don't understand. Even if you can find games that give you more content for less money, that doesn't mean that is the superior and only go-to business model, and it doesn't then automatically make anything that's not exactly like that a bad business model. The antithesis of like, oh, well, Warframe's free to play, Fortnite's free to play, and they just subsidize with microtransactions. That doesn't mean every game that comes out that doesn't do that is, oh, it's automatically bad and and scummy and and cash-grabby. I just think people latch on to buzzwords like cash grab, it's bad for the industry, it's a bad business model, and they just make the criticism, but they can't make an argument, that's just an assertion. Oh, it's just bad, it's scummy, it's gross, they shouldn't do it. Why? What's the matter with that, you know? Why is it a bad business model? What bad precedent's being set by a game launching and a year later charging you arguably almost nothing to get new injections of content a year and a half to two years after its launch date I just I don't know I don't think I don't think anybody can make a substantive argument that it's a bad that it's a bad business model uh Gundam MK Gundam MK says what is the possibility that the monster at the heart of the Dreaming City is an Ahamkara yeah I, I kind of we've already touched on this question I think that's possibly what it is they're trying to summon it maybe with taken power that man frosty I know this isn't a particular Dreaming City question but do you agree that strikes being recycled story missions is bad for the game I feel it's just lazy no no I, I don't and here's why what would you prefer them do give you story missions in the campaign that you never play again why should they waste development time on that why should you waste development time on that? It's a content, it's a content loop game. Right? It's a content loop game. You you come and you grind and you run a content loop. That's what you do. You 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 run through content. So for the developer to say, let's spend a bunch of time on campaign missions that people will never touch again, I don't think is a good and efficient use of the bandwidth. I think building a game out of strikes and out of content that you will replay is actually a far superior and far more intelligent way of building your game. It's so much better. That would be like replaying Diablo 3 or replaying Borderlands 2 on the extra playthroughs and be like, well, why are they just having me run through the campaign again? Why not have all new stuff? That seems kind of lazy. And it's like, no, that's literally the definition of a content loop. That, that's what you're doing you're running a loop like I, I don't understand now if they want to break it apart to have some diversity as someone in chat is pointing out there is going to be a heroic story mission playlist okay I'm okay with that too but couldn't you make the same criticism then 
oh, you're just taking story missions and throwing them into a heroic strike playlist, uh, a playlist, and people are just replaying it. That just seems lazy. So your argument is that they should create a campaign that we never touch again. They should spend developmental bandwidth and content creation hours and time on something that you play once and never touch again. Why the frick would you argue for that? Why? I want more to do, except I only want to play it once and never again. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I don't understand that logic. I'm okay with them doing it either way. If they want to run and say, okay, we're going to build the campaign primarily from strikes so we have a mission boss loop we can send you on later in a strike or story mission structure where audio, story, back and forth, little bit shorter, smaller boss fight and you throw that in the heroic story playlist. Either way, they're creating content they intend you to replay later. How the frick is that lazy? I I don't understand that. I think lazy is a lazy word. I think lazy is a lazy word. People just use it because it's like, well, it's lazy. It's not making new content. Stop and think about what you're saying, though. Should they just then just create a, a, a crap ton of quantitative content that you play one time and then never play again? How would that be good for your experience of Destiny? How? I I don't I don't think so. I think it's smart. Now, in House of Wolves, when we re-ran strikes and missions backwards, and they just changed some of the ads, you could maybe say, well, come on, you guys couldn't create us new stuff? I'll I'll maybe team up with you and agree with you there. Like, that was a little bit... I don't like using the word lazy, but there was less new content being built, right? I would have enjoyed more new original missions and strikes. I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, make it like I'm whining about it. Come on, man. Heroic story missions were for that purpose to love you, though. Right, but that man, Frosty, the logic breaks down. I'm not saying you're whining, but you're saying strikes being recycled story mission is bad for the game. I feel like it's just lazy. Story missions being recycled for heroic story playlists. Like, it's the same thing. They're using the story for replayability later. Your logic breaks down, dude. Like, I hear where you're coming from. You're not whining like an entitled child. I'm not trying to make it sound that way, but there are lots of people who say just that. They should just give us a whole new campaign and then we and then they shouldn't reuse it later. We shouldn't replay it later. I want brand new missions and that's only where they are. They're not used for strikes later. Why shouldn't they be used for strikes later? Why shouldn't they be used in the heroic strike playlist later? Why shouldn't they get capital out of the stuff that they've built? Right? It doesn't make sense to me. So, I may not be understanding your logic, but to me, it seems like this this logic pairs and parallels right to any other playlist where they reuse the content. Uh, do you think there'll be new destinations in the annual pass? No, they've said there will not be. No new destinations, no new story. Uh, SG yet one bear says Bungie keeps referring to the Dreaming City as changing and rotating. Uh. What do you think that will look like? Do you think it will affect it physically as well? It could be like we said, like weekly, it just changes. Like weekly, there's different puzzles and challenges to do. Like how weekly Escalation Protocol is a different boss. Court of Orcs was a different boss every week, you know? And then there's different loot to pursue it in line with that, right? So. Uh, Go Vandy says, Do you think Insurmountable Skull Fort will be changed since Shoulder Charge is a one-hit kill now? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe. What? Don't you get your punch right back from Insurmountable Skull Fort, or is it like a portion of the punch back? 
I'm actually, I actually am blanking on what insurmountable skull fort does. I thought it gave you two punches and a portion of your punch energy back on a successful punch kill. So they may need to tweak that perk. Yeah, they may need to. Uh, Soul BLD says, one idea is that they do the raid boss like how Warframe handles event bosses. For example, the boss is available for a week, has an overall percentage of health all players see, and each fire team that beats the raid that week ticks down the health bar to unlock the next rotation. Um, It's a full refill and health. Oh, okay, so people are telling me now. I, I couldn't remember. Okay, so Insurmountable Skull Fort is a full recharge of the melee ability, and it gives you health. Yeah, they're going to have to take a look at that, because that's going to make... I mean, you're just going to be able to basically shoulder charge all day. I mean, you can just literally just run at people, punch them, get it back, sprint at the next. The only thing working against that would be clumped, you know, teams that clump together, which I don't think that's going to go away. I don't think that's going to go away in Forsaken. Yeah, I mean, this idea with community taking down the percentage of the boss's health, I'm not a big fan of this because I don't want my experience hindered by community lack of engagement. If the community's not really playing or not really doing the raid or not equipped to do the raid, I don't want my experience hindered by the community's lack of play. You know, I don't know. I like the idea on paper, but I think in execution it would be freaking irritating. Uh, brand new sub from Chaz Mander. Thank you so much. Welcome to the raid. Just enjoy your dope badge and emotes. You are dope and deserve dope stuff. You guys can use the Discord perks as a sub. We have a clan system and an LFG system. You don't have to sub to support my content, though. If you're here right now and you enjoy this question answer format, this podcast format, I do this daily. To support me, a free way to support me is to click follow. Just click the heart button. That means you're following my channel. Just like when you follow somebody on Twitter, you'll be following my Twitch channel. You'll know when I'm live and when I'm streaming. If you open up the mobile app or the browser, you'll see me when I'm live. I stream every day and we do a lot of this Q&A. That Demins came up with this fantastic. You submit the questions right in the, in the chat and they go right here. Like you don't have to leave the chat or the mobile app. How do you feel about the power weapons that are changing to kinetic? I think it's fine. I don't think it's going to break anything. I think ammo economy will keep things in check. We saw somebody run three shotguns during the stream and it just, it wasn't, uh... It wasn't broken. It wasn't silly. So, uh, Darboss123, do you think the grind for 600 power uh, will be harder than the grind to 400 like in the Taken King? I have no idea. I think they learned from Warmind that we don't want the power grind to be frustrating and, and like truncated. Um, I mean, they're making it sound like if you do stuff that's significantly out of your reach, you'll have big, big power jumps. So I think people are going to navigate and figure out, oh, you can grind these 500 strikes and, you know, it's slow and steady, but you get huge jumps in power. You may find people coming up with strategies like that to level quickly. Poochie81. With all the changes to mods, armor perks, random rolls, and more, do you think Bungie will give us custom loadout ability like Division so we can swap loadouts more easily depending on the activity we're doing? Man, that would be nice because if they add contextual power, if they add contextual power like armor loadouts that are better per planet, or per engagement, like the Dreaming City and the Raid, like if there's perks for those things, that would be really nice. That would be really nice to be able to just swap loadout. Uh, when Forsaken comes, what loadout are you going in? I already answered that. A little late, but what do you think of the ending cutscene in space of the main campaign? Something possibly happening for the future? I think Destiny 3, we're going to face against the ancient foe of the Traveler. If you watch the opening cartoon cinematic in Destiny 2, when it mentions the ancient foe of the Traveler, there's these giant triangle shadows that go over the ground. That's the giant triangle ships that are out there. I think 
a year from this September, I think September 2019, we are going to go back to the Dreadnought because they said uh, they said that the way the light hits everything in order, they said that is the order that the DLC comes out. So it hit Mercury first. That's That was Curse of Osiris. Then it hit Mars. That was Warmind. And then it hit the Reef. That's Forsaken. And then it hit the Dreadnought. I think we're getting Dreadnought next year in the form of the Taken Queen. And I think the Taken Queen will be centered around Savathun ascending to the Hive Throne, maybe alongside Marasov. Maybe Marasov is Savathun and Eris Morn will return. That's my prediction. And that's what I'm basing it off of that endgame cutscene. They said, Luke Smith said that endgame cutscene is basically their roadmap. They're showing us what's coming. And it's been, you know, it's been right in line. So the Dreadnought's coming later. It's not, we're not getting new locations with the annual pass. So the Dreadnought can't come until late next year. It can't come until late next year because it's not going to come with the annual pass. So, Yarn Donkey, what are you looking forward to the most in Forsaken? Uh, God rolls and the new loadout. Being able to put guns and having, you know, loadouts with, you know, a shotgun in my energy slot and a rocket launcher in the power and a, uh, a what's it what's it called like a like a strong power weapon you know rocket launcher or something and then like a hand cannon uh, the loadout and then being able to grind for god rolls and craft weapons that like have exactly everything I want on them very very excited very very excited about that last question J2J squared I'm confused on what to call the new weapon system is it primary special and heavy or kinetic energy power it's gonna be primary uh, pri- I'm gonna call it primary secondary and power it's primary secondary because like there's no hard and fast rule as to what goes where uh, but but it's it's more like you got a primary and a secondary weapon and then that kind of gives you the options to have really unique loadouts that honestly in some respects with bows and the way some of these exotics pair up and stuff like tractor cannon we're going to have loadouts that are way cooler than anything we ever could have built in D1 so if you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, I appreciate you listening to my content. You can always tune in live, twitch.tv slash say no to rage, or follow me on Twitter at say no to rage. As with all of my content, I appreciate you listening or watching. Please like, share, and subscribe.